started Thursday night, because I've been teaching a lot on Thursday night. I teach the whole series on the Revelation. I'm up through the pouring out of the seven vials, and we found out a lot of things about that in the spiritual application of that. And then when the seventh vial was poured out, of course, we found out that it's pretty much brought it to a conclusion. He said it is done at that point. And uh, everything for the church is already prepared. Don't look for anything more to come to help you in the church other than what God has already prepared through his word and through his spirit. And then we looked into it and we found that after God said it's done, he introduced a lot of things that's going to come against the church, spiritually speaking. Of course, in the vials that was poured out, we found in the sixth one that we're going to be in a battle. It was called the Battle of Armageddon. Anybody know what that is? Okay, it's a spiritual battle we all face. Amen? Every day. Has any of you been in a battle spiritually lately? Well, if you're breathing, you've probably been in a spiritual battle lately. And we find out that there's a lot of things want to attack the Christians. And we looked at it, and from uh, the, the completion of those seven vials, it goes into the next two or three chapters of explaining some of the things that will come against the church. They came against the children of Israel in the Old Testament in a physical way, and God uses those things to come, if you would, to warn us what's coming against the church in a spiritual way under the New Testament. Okay? Everybody understands that, right? There are battles that the church are going to face. Now, I'm not talking about the building. All right? Now, there's the battle for the building is going to be, uh, you know, we have to paint it once in a while, and we got to fix the cracks in the sidewalks and we've got to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that and fix the air conditioning and the heating and make everybody comfortable. That's not the church. That's a church building. The church is you. Everybody that's saved is part of the church. Everybody knows that, right? Spiritually, you are the church. The devil's not happy about that. And he has everything he wants to bring against you as God's church Sometimes it's individually. Sometimes it comes as a family. Sometimes it comes as a congregation. And sometimes it comes by multiple congregations. Amen. That's what I like about camp meeting. Anything that's going on or the devil's trying to work on as the church in a, as a, what you'd say, a whole, or even in what we might say Southwest Ohio, which there's 40 or whatever churches in southwest Ohio of the Church of God, the Anderson movement, if you want to call it that, um, that uh, the devil wants to work against. You know, he might be trying to do a work in our church or in our group of Christians that another group has already faced and been through. And we get together and have unity, they're probably praising God because we got through that. And you say, well, what happened? And they'll tell you. And guess what? Bing! The light goes off. And we can move forward because of the unity of the Spirit. We can learn from other people. I've always said, 
I don't have to make all the mistakes that have to be made because I can learn from other people's mistakes. When I see them going through heartaches and I see their scars, it's a reminder to me, I don't have to do that. I should be smart enough to know not to do those things, right? Amen. So when we learn from other people's things, we can learn to move forward. The devil is evil. And I want to talk to us about evil. And what we're talking about when we talked about evil Thursday night, we put it in a retrospect, if you would, as to what God refers to Babylon. All right? Babylon was a city. And it was used of God in the Old Testament. And then it became uh, something that was way out of sync with God. Do you know that Babylon was built on the Euphrates River? Did you know that? The river ran right through that center of that town. And when Joshua and God crossed the Jordan, bringing all of God's people out of Egypt, finally to the promised land, you know where the promised land boundary was in the north? The Euphrates River. But because of battles with this king and battles with that king and the Philistines and the Canaanites and the Enonites and the Elites and I, they all got to fighting and carrying on and dividing and splitting and all right. So when all that takes place in the Old Testament, by the time that God wanted to use Babylon to correct Israel in the Old Testament, uh, it was so far from God it wasn't even uh, recognizable as part of being what God wanted uh, his children to be a part of. So now we have uh, a spiritual outlay that we'll cover more on Thursday night than we will today. But I wanted to read to you from John the third chapter. And we're going to pick up the thought of, of evil that we uh, had in uh, the Thursday night service, I want to pick up on a, a continual talking about evil. And it says, in, is everybody hot? Is that the problem? Well, that won't turn it off by doing that. You can drop that if you want, but it won't turn it off. The only way you're going to turn it off is go downstairs and shut it off downstairs. But... Well, I have to go downstairs and do that. I want to read to you out of the third chapter of John. This is Jesus here. Of course, he's just had an encounter with Nicodemus. So while you're turning to John, the third chapter, we'll look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your word, find in it the strength that we should have and, and the ability to move forward for you that, Father, it will give us the light we need to be in your perfect will. Bless in every way this hour. Uh, may we look beyond the heat and the uncomfortableness, so to speak, and be uh, fully concentrated on the Word of God and the Spirit of God that will be the people you want us to be. Bless, I pray, in Jesus' name. And here we find in John, I want to break in in John 3.16. How many of you know what John 3.16 says? It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, should, not on him, in him, there's a little difference there, should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God, or what's for me? Because God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but 
On the other hand, see how those study words help you? That the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is condemnation, that the light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither comes to the light. Of course, who's the light? That's Christ. Lest his deeds be reproved, and he doeth truth, but he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they were wrought in God. It actually kind of shows us coming down through there two different teams. The ones that are in the light, and the ones that are not in the light, if you would, or the ones that are in darkness. Let me read verse 19 one more time, and let's uh, kind of concentrate and focus on what Jesus is trying to focus our attention on when he uh, spoke this. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. Did you know that Jesus had to put up with evil in his lifetime? Well, that is true. Uh, saints, we live in a condemned world. All we need to see to prove that, uh, that it's a reality, is to turn on the news. Anybody heard any bad news this week from the news? No? It's all been wonderful? Hey, man, everything's going just great. They're cutting your taxes, right? Gas prices are going down. They're going to start giving everybody free gas. No, come on. Last night, I, I turned it on just for a minute. Um, and I, I noticed there was a, what they called a hate shooting in Buffalo. A fellow went into a grocery store there and just decided to open fire. He, he killed 10 and hit three others. Okay, so he actually ended up shooting 13 people, and I don't know of the three that he hit whether any of them died or not overnight, but he intentionally, and he even wrote some papers and a, whatever they called a proclamation of some sort he put out that he hates certain kind of people, and he was going to go in and, and well, well he's, now we got him under control, and uh, he's not going to be on the streets anymore. All right. So we hear about that kind of evil. And even the people that were talking about the situation, they, when they said, yeah, it was pure evil, and they put a lot of emphasis on the evil that that guy did in those shootings in Buffalo, New York. And then we have protesters in the streets at the addresses of Supreme Court justices' homes. Hmm, why? Well, they want to keep and expand the murder of innocent babies as a form of birth control. And they're afraid if they don't uh, watch our Supreme Courts and put them in line and scare them half to death, they're going to vote to overturn a case that was called Roe versus Wade. 
It does not, and that's what I don't get, it doesn't change abortion. If they did overturn it, it wouldn't change it. No, not a bit, I got to tell you. All it would do is take it out of federal hands and put it in state hands. Well, we've got people in Washington that want to have all the federal power they can get. You know why? Because we have to give them more tax money if they've got more power. You know? And I always, my dad taught me this one. I was just a little shaver. He said the government loves to just throw money at a problem until it disappears. Amen. So anytime I read and hear the word federal, this, that, or the other, where the federal's in charge of something, I know it's going to be messed up. It is. Look at your schools. They're under federal control. You know what we should do with our schools? We should turn them back over to the states. Do you know that? They'd straighten them out in a heartbeat. Our post office. Huh? What a mess. Can't make budget in no way, shape, or form. If I was in charge of the post office, I could make them. They would be profitable. I guarantee you they'd be profitable in less than a month. Because I see a lot of things where they're wasting money that I would cut out in a New York second. But because it's done from Washington instead of locally or, fed or statewide, well, we've got all kinds of problems. But it all has to do with money and power. Amen? That's why everybody is so in an uproar about what's going on in the Supreme Court. Amen? Anytime the absence of good is present, evil will rear its ugly head and take precedence in that situation. Amen? All right. Do you know that we got a baby food shortage? Did you know that? On Friday at Costco, they said they had racks and racks of formula. But they put it on the radio and on the TV that we got a shortage. The next day, it was all gone. Do you remember the toilet paper shortage? Huh. Huh. Amen. Well, it's a good thing we got newspaper and brown paper bags. But nonetheless, all they have to do is put it on the news federally. Toilet paper shortage. And everybody takes their semi and goes fills up their basement with all the toilet paper they can get their hands on. Next thing you know, yeah, sure enough, we got a shortage. So whenever you hear a shortage of something coming up, don't panic about running out and getting a bunch of it. Just adjust your lifestyle to get around it, move on. Now, I understand the people that need the baby formula. They need to get that. And there are ways of coming up with it. Uh, they do have uh, alternatives for that. Amen. So uh, I, th I hope there's no ill effects on any of the children, uh, infants, or anything that can't get what they need. But that's one more time I see our federal government causing issues that need to be straightened out and uh, whatever's going on. All right. To say it very bluntly, the less God is in our world and promoted the more evil the world's going to produce. Amen? It's, that's not only true in our world as a whole. That's not only true in our church as a whole. That's not only true in your family as a whole. That's true in your personal life 
in every aspect of your life. The less you lean on God, the more open you are to the evil that the, the, the devil wants to promote and put into your life. Evil is like a snowball effect. You take a snowball and you start it as a snowball on top of the mountain and you roll it down the hill a little bit, the farther it rolls, the bigger it gets, and the faster it picks up speed. And it's not long until it's so big that it starts doing a lot of damage. Amen? Evil has many applications to it. Sometimes it's very subtle. You don't even realize it's happening while it's happening. But if any of you know anything about evil, never dismiss the fact that evil is happening all around you. Even when you think everything's going good. Amen. Even with your birthday and you got all your candles lit and you can make the best wish you want and blow out those candles and it's all going to come true. Evil's still there. It's lurking. Amen. It's at work in the shadows only to be revealed after much destruction has been accomplished. It reminds me of rust in a vehicle. Seems like you get a car and it don't take long till rust starts to appear on it. I got a truck that fenders kind of flap in the, in the breeze as I drive it, you know, and it's pretty much eat up with rust. I got pulled over, um, that's been a while back, for speeding um, in a 25 mile an hour zone. He said I was going 38 mile an hour. Well, I have no way of proving it because my speedometer says I'm going 160 all the time. <laughs> Speedometer's broke. And he said, he told me, he said, um, and he, he asked me where I live. I gave him a driver's license. I was respectful to him. I told him, you're doing a great job. And if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. And we'll, we'll pay whatever, you know, do whatever. And, and he said, don't you live, aren't you the lawnmower man? <laughs> I said, yes, I, I've got a constant flow of lawnmowers in it. Well, you're doing a great job for our community up there. And I got a warning. But he said to me, I want you to get your speedometer fixed. And I said, well, sir, that speedometer's been broke for about 10 years. And if you look at this truck with the fenders a-flapping and the rust on the frame and everything going on with this truck, speedometer's the least of my worries. And I said, and besides that, what do you think a 2004 GMC truck all rusted up with no speedometer is worth on the market today? It's only worth a few hundred bucks. They want a thousand dollars for the speedometer. Ah, oh, Tom, he gets in there just fine. I just tell him when I t bring him to, he comes with me to the men's meeting in my truck. I say, it's okay, just get in, just don't get my truck dirty. Yeah, anyway, we have fun with it. But that's the way rust works on a car. You don't realize it until you start seeing the paint bubble. Then you see it crack. Then you see parts of the metal flaking and falling off. Well, you know at that point it's really too late. The rust has already had its impact on you. And sometimes that's the way it is with evil. It works so slow, so subtle, 
and so behind the scenes and so undercover, if you would, that you don't realize until you're in dire straits that evil has had that much impact in your life because evil is sneaky. It's really hard to define because it has so many different applications to it and what it does in one person's life doesn't really affect them but it might affect someone else in someone else's life. I hear Brother Steve talking about sugar diabetes. So he doesn't eat. He brings in everything for us to eat. I guess he wants us to join us in the sugar crowd. But he doesn't help himself eat of that because it's not good for him. He has to watch what he eats to keep his sugar numbers under control. So he has to do those things. But if he gets out of control with that, you know, and here he brings them in, and I lap each one of them up with not a problem. So if any of you have extra brownies or an extra cake or pie on the weekend, just bring it in for Sunday school. Amen? But um, evil is really hard to define because it works on everybody differently, just like sugar works on each of us differently. Amen? But you need to be aware of it. If not, it'll sneak up and grab you. It'll get you. Amen. Sometimes we think of, of evil and it's defined as innocent child play. Sometimes it can be defined by ignorance. Sometimes it can be defiled by greed. Amen. 1 Timothy 6 and 10 says, For the love of money is the root of what? All evil. Amen. Greed plays a big part in evil. Sometimes it's defined by stretching the limits. Amen. Now even if your speedometer works and you see a sign that says 35 and you're going 37, do you slam on your brakes? Oh no. The policeman won't give us a ticket until we're at least 10 mile an hour over the limit, right? So we push the limits a little bit. Amen. You get on the highway and you're on vacation and speed limit's 70, what do you set your cruise on? 77, 78, because you know unless you hit 80, you're not going to get a ticket. You know? And besides, you're important. You've got places to be, right? So evil has a way of us pushing the limits, if you would. Amen. And you always have a way of justifying your circumstances. Maybe it's an emergency. You know, you may have to get to the bathroom, you know? You may have to get to the hospital. Well, whatever it is, your circumstances, if you would, dictate whether that's an evil act that you're doing or not. But even if you have to go to the bathroom, you run a red light and hit somebody else, huh, well, I guess you have to go to the bathroom wherever you're at. Amen. No matter what excuse you attach to the circumstance, the influence of evil has a way of covering up the worldly or devilish impact that it has on an individual. Amen. It's slow and works. Amen. I know uh, I've known some people with cancer. You know what they say about it that's so bad? They know they've got it. Amen. It may not affect them. They may be able to go right on doing whatever they did or whatever, 
They know they've got it. Eventually, it will win. Well, that's the way evil is, unless you can take measures to head it off and stop it. Amen? The more you excuse the true operation of evil, the deeper its roots can get into your spirit. Some people use alcohol consumption as a way of dealing with stress or being a crowd pleaser. You know, peer pressure is something that every one of us has to deal with constantly. Amen? Uh, they don't think um, it's going to be that evil, you know, to use a moderately. Give me a break. They think they can control it rather than it controlling them. At first it seems okay, but again, when evil's present and tolerated, our judgments become shaky and tolerance becomes blurry. Amen? In the Garden of Eden in Genesis, God created the world and everything in it. Amen? I just want to tell you the good news about it because a lot of people blame God for evil. But he's not to be blamed. At the end of each day when he created something, he said it was good. He made the sun, the moon, the stars. He said, ah, that's good. Then he made the mountains and the rivers and, ah, oh, that's good. Then he made the cattle and then, oh, that's good. And finally he made man. And when he finished with it, he said, it's very good and he quit creating, if you want to say it that way, or his creation was complete. Amen? So he took a rest, if you would, and then that became what was going on. When did evil come on the scene? It wasn't long after, was it? Because they had one command they were not to break, and the individuals realized at that point they had options. God told them not to eat of that tree. Well, they didn't go down to the tree. I don't even believe myself. I would think they probably just went down just as curiosity. They didn't go because they was hungry. They could eat of all the trees in the garden. They had anything they wanted. They lived in a smorgasbord. Amen. Yeah, I always thought that would be pretty cool. Live in a smorgasbord. Just give me a fork and turn me loose, right? Amen. Well, they had everything they needed but then they had options too. It's something how the devil always focuses on what you're not supposed to do instead of what you're supposed to do. Amen? So the options they had was that they were supposed to obey God's commandments, but when evil had its way in their life, they made a wrong choice. Seemingly, it was just a minor infraction. But with God... All transgressions are major. At first, it didn't appear to be a big deal. But when God confronted them at the end of that day, they realized they'd made a big mistake. In the history we have of the garden, they were dismissed and punished. But the next thing in Genesis we read about is murder. Huh. How did it get so evil 
from just disobeying what tree to be around to murder. Well, it doesn't take long if you allow the enemy to have his way. Amen? How quickly evil chooses, evil choices go from small to huge and major evil viciously is recorded. You know, I was thinking to myself in the study, and I said, dude, I wondered, I live in a world with four billion people plus. You know how many that is? That's, that's pretty crowded. We live in a pretty crowded world, and two-thirds of it's water. Now, nobody lives on the water, of course, you'd sink if you did, but uh, on the land that we have, four billion people. And I get to thinking, how many got killed in this war, and that war, and another war, and how many murders take place, and how many other things going on, and how many times evil, and murder after murder after murder. I just wonder how many people would be in this world today above and beyond the four billion if we hadn't killed them all. Huh. That was just me in my study thinking. Don't, don't waste any brain cells over that. Did you know that the second biggest killer of Americans between the age of 25 and 40 is an overdose on drugs? Huh. I heard that last year I think I got the figure right. I didn't write it down at the time, but it was stuck up here in this gray matter somewhere. 107,000 Americans, just Americans, died of an overdose, overdose drug death in America last year. 107,000. I would probably think each of you in here heard somebody's name that was related to somebody, that was a friend of somebody, or knew somebody that said it was somebody that died of an overdose of drugs last year. Huh. Why? Again, we want to ask, why? Only God knows the extent that evil is having on the world we live in. So now before we look at evil and see how widespread its devastating impact is all around us, maybe we should look a little bit more in the mirror. First, let's look to ourselves and ask ourselves, what can little old me do about our world's epidemic of evil? I think I have a responsibility to control the evil that is around me and in the world that I work in and move in and preach in and go in or whatever you want to say, there's some type of epidemic in this world of evil that I need to have my share of stopping it, whatever I can do. First of all, we need to be aware of its devastating and controlling powers. As Barney Fife would say, we need to nip it in the bud. Amen? We need to get beyond what this world is offering us individually. I heard Brother Mike 
Matters testify Thursday night. He went for three days for a meeting that his job required that he do in Cleveland. The fact that it was in Cleveland should have been a clue for him. But all the co-workers that were there, every meal, he said, every time they were together, they were drinking adult beverage. And they even offered to Mike. And Mike says, I don't drink. And he said at that point, he kind of got snubbed. Huh. How about that stuff? Well, that's the, the thing that he did. They were probably looking at him as the oddball. Well, it's better to be an oddball in this world than to be uh, thought of as crazy and be an example of the righteousness that God has put in your heart and life. Amen. Even in the first century, and I talk, call it the first century because that's when Jesus was here. Jesus was surrounded by evil in all the things that he did in his ministry personally. One thing he taught his followers to do was pray. You know, when evil has an impact in your life, the best thing you can do is stop and pray because he gave us a model prayer. And it's in Matthew 6 and in verse 13. You probably all know, a lot of people call this the Lord's Prayer, but it was just a model prayer. His disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, well, if you're going to pray, follow this model so to speak, and he gave him this prayer. And verse 13 said, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When you pray, you need to be praying every day. Lord, deliver us from evil because it's everywhere. Amen? Amen? It has a way of multiplying and have a bigger impact in your life today than it had yesterday. Amen. Yesterday, we were in a crowded restaurant. And for breakfast, it was very noisy. I already said that. And I spoke to the men about the fact that summer is here. With the warm weather, what happens? Usually, a whole lot less clothes is being worn. A whole lot less issues are happening. And of course, we were reminded, uh, Brother Steve reminded us, be on the lookout for motorcycles. Now, we haven't seen any motorcycles while the snow was on the ground. But now that it's warm weather and it's nice, everybody wants to ride their motorcycles. And of course, gas prices even get into that because motorcycles get a whole lot better gas mileage than an automobile does even the good automobiles. But we need to be aware of our surroundings because otherwise we're going to uh, uh, run into people on motorcycles and it could be devastating. He was talking about a guy that got hit and the lady said, I'll tell you, in about 80% of motorcycle accidents, the first thing the driver says in the car is, I never saw him. I never saw him. Well, by the time she did see him or whatever response there was, it's too late. Amen? 
We talk about the motorcycles on the road and be aware of our surroundings and how those things can happen so quickly and uh, all the things that's going on. Of course, uh, the hot weather changes everybody's attire and the clothes that they wear. Uh, we have to be aware of the evil that's coming around us. They don't take their clothes off just so we'll have uh, uh, opportunity to be introduced to, e to more evil. But the devil sees the opportunity and he sure does use it. Amen. Then I spoke to the fellows and I said, you know, there was a guy named David that was out one evening, probably had a bad dream and couldn't sleep. He was out on the porch looking around and he happened to look over at the neighbor's house and the neighbor's wife was taking a bath and he looked at her and thought, whoa, what could I do with that? So he had choices to make and all those choices came with consequences. When he looked at Bathsheba, David decided, I think I would like to meet her in a special way. He, at that point, he had an adulterous affair with her. He ended up murdering her husband. She ended up getting pregnant, and an innocent baby died at childbirth because of what God was doing, if you would, in punishing the evil that David had committed. All of this to a person that God wanted to use in a special way to protect his people, Israel, and eventually God labeled him the apple of his eye. David was one of God's favored. David had already a few wives, several. And why did he have to look on the neighbor's wife? Well, evil has a way of working all that out. Once evil's done its dirty deeds, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't call it quits. Recognize the error of your ways and remember that Scripture even deals with it. It says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. So it's biblical, if you would, that many people have chased that rabbit, but boy, it always has bad consequences. Amen? What we need to do when we realize we're headed down the wrong paths is turn by faith to the author and finisher of our faith, faith and our salvation, Jesus Christ. We need to look to Him. We need to repent. We need to turn around. That's what repent actually means. We need to accept the redemption that he put together for us. We need to believe with all our heart in the miracle powers that come in the grace that he has established for us to have. We need to call on his name for the forgiveness that can only come through the name from Jesus Christ. Amen. I like to do what I call drive a stake in the ground. Now, I realize I don't have a hammer and stakes everywhere I go, but mentally, I drive stakes in the ground all the time. Amen? When God shows me I shouldn't do that or I've been too close to this or this needs corrected, in my mind, 
I drive a stake in the ground mentally so that when I come back to that situation, that stake is there. And I can remember, we've already been through this. We don't have to do this again. Amen? We already got victory over this, and we're not going to give up the victory that came by knowing what God wanted us to do. Mentally, we need to um, take a note on the error of our way, if you would, and the temptation that comes from the devil to get us to doubt God and make wrong choices. I have a reminder of the wrong that's been in my life presently, and I run from it. Every time I see one of those mental stakes, I know God's reminding me, don't go there. Amen? Our world is reaching a new, all-time low record of evil every day. When you think we can't get any worse than we are, tomorrow proves us wrong. It just gets worse and worse. Evil seems more and more prevalent with each calendar day that passes. It is just something that uh, the enemy wants to drive home and in more people. And the more he drives it into the world, the more the world feels comfortable with it. So for us to think that we can get saved and stick our heels in the sand and It'll go away. That's just not going to happen. We can't just turn a blind eye to evil and accept uh, whatever comes along. From a biblical viewpoint, it's as evil as evil uh, can get in our scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. But as Christians, we have a hope within our souls brighter than the perfect day God has given us his spirit and we want the world to hear it all our doubts are passed away amen you ever heard that before amen if if you want to see it or read it it's on page 330 in your hymnal amen an old preacher once said we can't stop the birds from flying over our head and even what they put on our windshield. We have no control over that. But we don't need to let them build a nest in our hair. Amen? We need to understand that what they're doing, they need to do it on their terms somewhere else. We don't need to be a party of what's going on. Amen? No doubt, evil is all around us all the time. But we don't have to succumb to the evil influences that are around us all the time. I want to turn with you and kind of close out in James, the fourth chapter. And in this particular chapter, James has been really good about talking to the people here about evil. If you have uh, your Bibles and are looking at it from uh, a King James Version, you'll find that in chapter 1 at the beginning there, out in your side margin, it says, evil desires... The source of strife. That's the topic that the translators put on what James has put in this fourth chapter of uh, 
James's writings. And in verse 7, he says, Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Huh. He will? The Bible says he will. Amen. I was dealing with a guy that was demon-possessed in Texas. Been dealing with him for several months. Now... I don't hear from him anymore. Don't know if he got the victory or he gave up or gave in or where he went. Don't know. Amen. I did all I could for him. And I know and I've told him every time I prayed for him, God's got victory for you. If you'll put in for it and resist the devil, turn your back, tell him to flee, and tell him to leave you alone. And I'm basing it on that scripture right there. Amen. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Amen. No doubt. We got to submit ourselves to God if that's going to happen. In the context that James wrote, verse 7, we see that he's given all his readers, that's us and everybody that was here since James was here, good advice on how to get things straightened out. In verse number 1, he said, where's all these fightings and wars? Where are they all coming from? Oh, I'll tell you where they come from. They come from the evil influences that are around us. It says it comes from your members. And then he says it's because you lust. Now, lust is not necessarily a bad thing. In the 21st century, if you think of lust, and we usually attach it to something sexual and some desire that in that neck of the woods, which, you know, can be pretty bad. But what we're talking about here, this word just means desire. Amen. That's all it means. It could be a good desire. Amen. But if you overdo it, you can overdo good things. Amen. There's a commercial on. I think it's for uh, Golden Corral. The guy asked this other fellow at the table, he said, if you could only eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would you eat? He said, buffet. He said, well, that's not one thing. <laughs> so anyway, that's uh, how some people look at it. Amen. So here are all these fightings, where they come from? They come from your desires. Amen. Now, some of those desires, if you think about it, sit down and wrote a paper about it, studied it out, you'd say, that ain't worth my time to even choose to go down those avenues. But what's the devil do? He sits there and pecks at you like a hen pecking at the corn on the ground, pecking and pecking and pecking until finally you give in to those desires. Amen. But those desires will only have an impact if you allow the devil to have that impact in your life. Because in verse 10, the scripture says, Humble yourselves in the sight of God, and he shall, or he will, lift you up. You can get beyond those temptations that come that way. Well, um, in verse number 11... James is speaking here. He says, Speak not evil one to another, brethren. He that speaks evil of his brother judges his brother. Speaks, speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now, did you notice that in that verse three times he mentioned evil? Speaking evil. Amen. You know, there are people that speak evil. Amen. Then James said, don't do that. 
Amen? Why? Because if you speak evil, it'll come to pass. The old saying is what goes around comes around. You treat people wrong, yeah, it'll come around to you sooner or later. Amen? So you need to be on track with what the Word of God says we need to be. And to bring a conclusion to what James was writing in verse 17, the conclusion at the end of that is all summed up. Therefore, if you know what to do, and you don't do it, it's sin. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Right? Well, it works the other way. Therefore, for him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And if you know something's not good, and you do it anyway, it's sin. Don't do that. Amen. Whether it's good or not good, you know how to draw a line in the sand and drive a stake in what the Holy Spirit and the Word of God has told you you need to be if you're going to be the child of God God wants you to be. You see, sin is evil's goal in your life. I can't say every time you're tempted with evil that you've committed a sin. Because temptation is not sin. All right, we can read about that in James the first chapter. He goes through the steps and the progression of how to get from temptation to sin. Amen? But I tell you what, sin in every case is evil. Amen? So make choices that limit evil's influence in your life. If you'll do that, your life will be much better off and you'll set your eyes on things above rather than things of this earth. I tell a lot of people a lot of times, they say, well, everything looks so bad. I say, it's because you're looking in the wrong direction. Quit looking around. Quit looking down. Look up. Amen. And uh, Bonnie and I have come to a new conclusion in our ministries with, with uh, what we're doing for God. And the only thing we're trying to do now is make sure whatever we do, we have no regrets. We don't have to look backwards, see who's sneaking up behind us or who's going. Well, we've been, we put up with that for long enough. We just want to do what God wants us to do. And we're going to do it with no regrets, knowing we did it from a pure heart, and we wanted to make sure evil had nothing to do with anything we do in the church today. Amen. We need to seek the things that are above and not the things on this earth where evil seems to lie in wait to destroy what God wants you to experience in his salvation that you have in your spirit. You have a great gift if you have the gift of salvation. It's outstanding gift. Nothing else compares to that gift. But you can destroy it in a hurry if you make wrong choices and allow wrong influences to have an impact in your life. Keep your life pure with God. Look up and follow what he has for you. That's spiritually, not physically. Otherwise, you'll crane your neck and get kink in your neck and, not, and you'll walk into a parking meter when you're going down the sidewalk. Amen. Look up spiritually. Let God know you want His will in your life. Amen. Because He says, if you resist the devil, He will flee from you. Amen. Now remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy. Just worth it.